Welcome to College Unbound, the weekly podcast by Focus Collegiate, dedicated to diverse learning in the college environment. Thank you for being with us. This is Jane Taylor here with my colleague, Anne-Marie Stripling. Anne-Marie is the Focus Collegiate Enrollment and Outreach Director. Always a pleasure, Anne-Marie. Yes, Jane. Nice to see you. Today, our subject is you don't know what you don't know regarding the college admissions process. Our guest, Eli Clark, is an expert in this area. Thank you, Eli. Welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Anne-Marie. It's really a pleasure to be here. Eli is the Director of College Counseling at Commonwealth Academy, a college preparatory school in Alexandria, Virginia, for students with learning differences and executive functioning challenges. These are our peeps. He has been working in the field of education for 30 years and has a master's in social work. Eli has presented at, he's, you can't see him, but he's ducking the accolades. Eli has presented at national and regional conferences, served on four different university college counseling advisory boards, and has been featured in the Chronicle of Higher Education, the Washington Post, NPR, and Newsweek. In 2020, Eli was awarded for college counseling through the Colleges That Change Lives Association. And my favorite part, he's a TikTok sensation. His handle is at Mr. C College Counselor. So check that out. And let me kick us off with a big question, and then we'll winnow things down a little bit. Eli, what are we missing about the college admissions process. What don't we know we don't know? Well, thank you, first of all, for the nice introduction. I really appreciate that. And my pleasure. One that's listening, of course. You know, what we don't know, to be honest with you, and, it, and it's sort of like a Pandora's box right now, is the process changes every year to some degree, whether it be small things, little things, because every college and university is different. And COVID, post-COVID years, We've done a 180 degree shift right now. So the the question in and of itself, Jane, is we don't know because there's so much that's going on right now that's changing so rapidly. You have the test optional piece going on. You have students that never met with a college counselor or their guidance counselor or their teachers. They were virtual last year. They didn't have any activities that they did. How are colleges looking at that? There's so many different factors into it. There's a new question on the Common App about how did COVID affect? It's COVID and natural mm. disasters. So it includes floods and fires, and those things, unfortunately, that affected other people in our country and around the world. So, you know, it's it's a whole new world. Yeah. It's scary, and but it's interesting and, you know, all of that. This is the perfect intro. Thank you, Eli, to my first question. Why is there such fear about the application process both for students and parents. And Anne-Marie also, I'm sure you have insight into these. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody's afraid of something they don't know anything about, right? And totally. And that college admissions process is is a part of that. You know, I think that, that that's kind of the first step. They've never had exposure to it before. I think that a lot of families and students in particular think that the admissions like the applications are going to be very difficult 
They're not, thankfully. I'm just going <laughs> to dispel that myth right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that's the first and most important thing. They, they just have had no exposure to it. So there's a fear because of that lack of exposure. I would say also, too, I totally agree. Uh, I would say as well, students are, know that they're going to be applying to a university, a group of people that they probably will never meet in their lives. They probably, and these people will be making some sort of quantified decision about their admission and scholarships and honors programs and all those kinds of things. Parents, it's a different, I think, modicum of fear, but it's something where um, parents love to sort of hype themselves up in between each other. It becomes sort of like a rite of passage. You know, one of the things that, that parents do is that in talking to each other about the process, they tend to then psych themselves out and become very anxious, very fearful mm. because they start to insulate it. They start to intake this information and go, oh my God, I don't think we're doing the right thing and we're not going this route. And what I try to tell parents, especially in that realm, is try not to talk to other people about the process <laughs> because it changes every year, as we said before, and it's... You know, and, and it doesn't just because something worked last year for somebody or didn't for their son or daughter doesn't mean it's not going to work for your senior either. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a whole different world, it's a whole different person. And the thing with students, look, students when they're young, the thing that they do is they're very <laughs> adept at self-deprecation, right? They're about I'm not good enough, I'm not athletic enough, I'm not this enough. And what they don't realize is college universities want to find ways to admit students. They have to recreate a wheel every year to get a class. Those are some of the things I'm seeing. How many schools should students be applying to? <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm you ask the tough questions here. Eli. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's great. <laughs> I will say, um, so this is usually my rule of thumb, and it's, it's a range, right? I usually say less than four, you're gambling. Because you're kind of putting all the eggs in one basket with two or three. You're kind of hedging your bets. And what if it doesn't work out? I mean, you just got to make sure that you understand it. Even I'm not saying that you shouldn't apply to a dream school and that you're not going to get in or something. And then I usually say, if you get into teens, anxiety is taking over the process. I always try to tell my students, let's focus on your fit. Fit in terms of major or location or geographics or weather or sports or social environment, all of these things that I think they're important. And when you're not focused on that and you start just applying and applying and applying, and all of a sudden your list is becoming 16, 17, 20, et cetera, et cetera, I think that it's just taking a life of its own. And I try mm-hmm. to direct the students that I have that. The most I've ever had. Oof. And it was a really unique situation. Unfortunately, the student really was in a financial situation where the family was unable to afford. He applied to 52. Whoa. Yes. Wow, uh, no, that's... no, no. He had a special situation. But again, I thought that was a little much, but you know, it is what it is. And usually I, I say, like, I've had 20s and I go, oh God, too much. Well, and, and don't and you right. think too... If they apply to that many schools, for for what I see, a lot of our students have trouble making decisions, right? So if you have 15 schools that you get accepted into, well, how do I then make my decision Mm -hmm. after I get in? And that can be a whole other issue. It's a whole other layer of fear. Yeah. Anxiety, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you find the right fit in a college? Well, I I would say the way that I approach it, and I'm very specific in the way that I do college counseling, as I've been doing for a long time, 
I meet with the student first. I don't meet with parents. I like parents, don't get me wrong, but I need to meet the one that's going to apply first, right? And when I meet with them first, um, and just hear me out, I don't look at grades. I don't look at test scores. I don't look at any. Some of my students obviously have um, IEPs, 504s, or evaluations of that sense, obviously. I'm not looking at any of their records. And I tell them that. And I say, I want to know you. I'm going to see that information eventually, but I want to know who you are from you. If you think about it, that serves two purposes. That serves good rapport, but it also tells them you have a voice. I'm trying to establish that their voice is important to this, that when we're focused on fit, I want to hear from you. Mom and dad have their opinions. They're going to. That's fine. But I want to hear from them. Now, of course, when we get to that part of the process, and I usually um, focus on four basic areas, I uh, focus on urban, suburban, rural, size, which is a really broad question, which we could get into more if you want to, uh, geographics and possible major, which of course the most popular answer is I have no clue. And I go, well, that's the most popular answer I get. So don't worry about it, you know, but sometimes they have some inkling or some deciding kind of thing. So I'm getting some information as a college counselor on what's working from them from a broader sense. Right. And then as we go through Sometimes schools pop into my brain because I've been doing this a billion years, but also too that that later on down the road, I give myself some time to really do some research. I have some books and some resources that I use. So then in the next meeting, I come up with, I call the college exploration list, like based on what Bobby told me, he wants big state school. He likes fraternities. He wants a school of business. He wants to be in the South blah, 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 right? And then I come up with all of the variety of different schools. And I also then challenge my students. I say, you know, this isn't a state school, but this is a school that kind of has a lot of what you're saying, but it's private. It's in Ohio, not in the South, X, Y, Z, because it's an opportunity to get them. But what I'm trying to do is paint a picture of fit is this organic kind of broad sense that as we filter through the year, it becomes more and more specific. So in a nutshell. Sure. Yeah. And also like your favorite shoes, once you start wearing them, they're going to fit a little differently once you've hiked a couple miles, right? Right. I also think yeah. fit is, it's about so many things. It is about your major, but it's also about when you walk on that campus, when you're doing your college visits, how do you feel? Well, how do you feel in your gut? Do you think? Totally. You, yeah. Like, do you see other students that you think could be your friends? Do you feel comfortable when you go into the library and you just love it? You know, it's all of those pieces. I, of course, you know, have to say, if you go into the accessibility office and it, you don't care for it and it's not a place that you want to be ever, that's maybe not a fit for you if you're a student with a learning difference. Can I piggyback mm-hmm. also, because I so agree with what you're saying, sure. but also too, sometimes students feel like they have to have something very tangible when they visit a campus and say, okay, I didn't like that class. I didn't like the size of this campus, but equally important. I try to tell them is exactly what you just said. Sometimes it's a feeling. Sometimes it's just a sense of this isn't fitting for me. This doesn't, Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing my people. And a lot of students just come to me and they say, okay, you know, I I felt that way, but I feel weird. Like taking a school off the list. I said, no, that's that you have to live there for four plus years. I mean, come on. The things I won't accept just for humor's sake is when a student tells me it rained, I'm like, come on, you can't blame the school for weather. Um, yeah, students tour- would never go to school in Vermont right. if that was <laughs> right. the case. I mean, give me a break. Um, <laughs> 
uh, the tour guide wasn't good. I'm like, well, okay, but that's one person. So, okay. The tour guide. And then I used to work in an all boys school. So they used to say there were no uh, good looking girls. And I'm like, like, you're a stud. Give me a break. But you know? <laughs> <laughs> What happens when you don't get into your right fit school? Um, <laughs> you think, I, cause I want to say, yeah, please. Please. I think there could be several right fit schools within one list for a student. So I want to just put that out there initially, mm-hmm. because I think sometimes mm-hmm. students, especially a student who, let's say they're going to do early decision to a school and they're so excited about it. And that's really where they want to go, which is why they've done early decision to begin with. And they don't get in. It's disappointing. It is. But there are also, there's also a way to look beyond that, because I do believe that there are other schools. You can take those qualities from that early decision school you know, that you love so much. And then let's look at other schools that are similar to that school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always say too, I totally agree. If you focus on your fit and really design your list to focus on those things that you're not applying to school just because you think it sounds good or because sometimes you have to apply because lovely Aunt Edna went there and Aunt Edna wants you to apply. And I mean, and I don't usually want to like cause strife in a family. I've had students tell me, well, I'm just going to apply because my aunt went there. And I said, okay, we don't want to upset her. So you go ahead. But just remember, just keep it in context of does it really fit? So the answer, I feel like in, in, in conjunction to what you said, Anne-Marie, in terms of your question, Jane, is that if you focus on the fit, then, then your, your question is you don't, you get into schools that do fit obviously. So that's kind of how I approach it. But I've had students that go, oh, I just applied there. And now I, I guess I'm going to go there and I'm not very happy. And I go, why'd you apply then? And just, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of a, I told you so moment, you don't want to do it with a 17 year old because that's cruel. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right. Speaking of cruelty, Mm -hmm. how, (laughs) (laughs) oh no. (laughs) How do you know what your major should be? I'm a big fan of young people don't really know. That's okay. Do we have some ideas? And what I try to do is help them. I do it in two particular ways. And one's very specific. But when we talk initially, and I do then ultimately look at their transcript, we hone in on what those subjects are really good. Maybe I'm getting some indication on a pattern, really good, strong grades in science, not so much in English, something like that. Maybe it's across the board, very strong, but they impart to me, I really loved this class. I love this unit that we did in history or what have you. That gives me some tips with that. Um, And also at my school specifically, I went through a training where I'm licensed to do the strong career interest inventory, which is um, done by the Myers-Briggs. And we do that with all of our students. So the strong career identifies potential careers, potential interests within a work environment. It's connected to a thing called the ONET, which is the, I think it stands for occupational network. And then students can get more in-depth information. So, but, I, you know, I think sometimes there's undue pressure on finding this, this career in this major. I mean, my degree was in broadcast production. I look around my office, I go, well, I'm not doing it. So I think I'm, I'm making a living at least. So yeah. same with me. I mean, my yeah, degree right. is in psychology. I did counseling for many years and now I do outreach and enrollment. It's totally yeah. different. Yeah. I got my degree in music history and now there you go. <laughs> same. I, you know, now I'm podcasting and I do write resumes for a living happily, very happily. There you go. I did not declare a major until I was a junior. I know that's a big no, no, but especially these days, but I do think there's value in students exploring 
the things that they want to take. And I love it when I see students that go into their first year of college saying, wow, all these classes sound really interesting to me. And I'm going to try a bunch of different things. And yes, I'm going to take core courses, but I'm also going to pick classes that I'm interested in, in the hopes that that could develop into a possible major. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, used to be, that was what college was designed to do is mm-hmm. to help with that exploration process. And I think, you know, Eli is right. I think we've we've kind of strayed in down the road of really forcing students to, to determine a major very quickly. And may I just also say that I, I actually think, um, Emory, you deciding on a major in your junior year is perfectly acceptable. There are some schools out there, they don't allow students to declare a major after the first year or even the first two years. There's very few schools that do that, but there are some that do that as well. I think, again, I'm sort of reiterating the obvious that Emory already said, but there's this whole momentum about how we have to know you know, like college is the vehicle to being lucrative, to being, you know, um, responsible adults and career focused and oriented. And I feel like sometimes college is the environment to explore and to look and see as you already aptly mm-hmm. put Anne-Marie. So I guess I worry about sometimes this whole narrative that we're hearing in this day about, you know, higher education has to have this end result now as opposed Mm. to discovering later. And again, I think in large part because of the cost, but, you know, there's a whole host of reasons to it. Well, so studying something you love, something that captures your interest, that lights you up, you will be more successful in that field if you're thrilled about it. Right. Yeah. I hope we all love what we do, right? Yeah. You know, it's, I always say to people, I, I love I mean, not every day is the most magical day in the world, but, you know, I do wake up and I go, wow, I get to meet with kids today. I get to talk to this parent. I get to meet with these colleges that are visiting my school. I get to do a podcast. That's amazing. I'm so looking forward to today, you know? So if you do that, I mean, the day, first of all, it flies by, but you're so fulfilled. And it's yeah. Cool. yeah. 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 Plus, you know, you make $4 million, right? Of course. Right. <laughs> Let me shift gears a little bit to talk about test optional schools. Mm. What should we know? Oh, <laughs> listeners, Eli is holding his head. Oh, what should yeah, we I'll know about test optional schools and the movement towards this? Well, can I just say first and foremost that, um, and it's a small plug, but on my, on my TikTok channel, Mr. C College Counselor, I have a whole video about test optional in addition to test blind, in addition to test flexible. Test blind basically means a school, even if you send the test score, they're never going to consider it. There have been schools for years and years that have been test blind. They say, we won't consider it at all, even if you send it to us anymore. It's not necessary. Test flexible is sort of a metamorphosis that's happened in the last, I'd say, pre-COVID years, um, student, the schools that say, hey, we won't, you know, in addition to an ACT or SAT, we'll also look at an AP score. We'll look at a test that was given to you in your class. Um, there's placement tests at the school. So that kind of thing. The reason I was sort of like holding my, my head in my hand is because this test optional, the clear majority of schools right now, almost all of them, there's very few that still are asking for them, but there are some. Um, are test optional. And it's because of COVID, because it couldn't take tests, all of this stuff. But it's created Mm -hmm. this huge sense of confusion and this huge sense of parents and families and people associated with like test prep and what have you 
in some way trying to strategize and saying, well, but if you take this test and it could be looked at this way and da, 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 and this could give you a better option. So it just adds more to the confusion. And granted, there's some validity to it because then you have schools that say we're test optional, but for this scholarship, we need a test. For this honors program, we need a test. For this major so it just becomes, it's so confusing right now. Um, it's not that I'm looking forward to the day, but I think, you know, next year as, I mean, knock on wood, COVID world has sufficed and we're back to uh, full-time everything, um, or at least some sense of whatever the new normal is, tests are going to come back. You know, it's its really a confusing time right now. I don't know mm-hmm. what you think, Amory, because I know you're working with students. With yeah, that. I mean, I think that the test optional, I mean, there is a movement happening you know, in our country right now, it's called the Character Collaborative, and it's made up of um, admissions folks, people at colleges, even people at high schools, things like that, that are consultants, et cetera, that are trying to focus on and hopefully shifting the focus a bit from from testing. You know, I do think there's value in it. Um, I do. But I think this movement is really hoping to help colleges bring in the student's character and looking at um, more things related to the student than just tests and grades, you know, too. I think that website, Jane, just so you know, is character-admission.org. Character collaborative. I mean, it is something that is interesting, right, in in our field these days. Um, But going back to the test optional piece, too, you know, I think that I've seen students applying to schools because they're test optional and those schools maybe not being the right fit for the student academically. And that student might be overmatched, but because the school's test optional, they're just going to apply for it anyway. And it concerns me because, you know, I'm all about sustainability, right? Like you get in, but, and that's important, but can you stay there? Right. Can you be successful there? And I worry in some cases that this test optional kind of movement, especially right now, is opening the doors to some places for students that might not be the right fit for them, ultimately. We only have a few minutes left, so I want to sort of start to wind things down. The questions just keep getting bigger. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) How how can students make themselves stand out to Mm. colleges? What Mm. can they control what is out of their control? Maybe this will be our last question because this is big. I refer to the out of control thing, I think, is a really interesting question because there used to be, I used to actually give a synopsis of a letter that Fred Hartigan, who was the former dean of admissions at Princeton University, this is way back in my career, he, he stated in this letter to like prospective students this thing called institutional objectives, that there are things beyond our control, even as admissions people, that are going to influence the process. They need more oboe players. They need more kids from Rhode Island. They need international students. I mean, there's all sorts of different objectives in terms of that. So it's something I tell my students that there are going to be things that you have no control over, So, we, but we can't put forth energy to think about that. Amory and I talked earlier uh, in the last couple of weeks about this, but um, being authentic I hate the word strategy. I'm not a big fan of strategizing this application, leveraging yourself, that kind of thing. I think it can provide a false voice. I tell the students, please be who you are. 
And, you know, if you didn't do well in science, you didn't do well in science. What are you doing now? How are you showing maybe a progression in some way? Uh, You didn't do all the wonderful activities at your school, but you did do some and some that you're really interested in. Focus on that. Be yourself. And what I really feel like if you be yourself, you're going to find the fit. And if the school doesn't admit you, well, they're lost. Moving on. Perhaps if the school doesn't admit you, that's a good thing. Because if they're not responding properly to your authentic awesomeness, well, that's the wrong school for you. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, because don't forget, I mean, you're, you're also interviewing the school as a student. That's a great point. It's not just that they're, you know, are going to accept you or not. You are the student that's going in to determine if you want to go there or not. And so do your research, figure out if it's really a place that you want to be in every way, right? Look Mm. at their clubs, look at their residence life, look at the athletics. If you're into that, like really understand what that school can offer to you as a student, not the other way around. Totally. Yeah. Yes. And it's a lot of late work. And sometimes students, are, when you pose that to them in that way or in another form, they kind of go, oh, God, that sounds like so much work. I'm like, well, this is your life. I mean, this is important <laughs> right? You know, to make this decision that way. So, you know, yeah. But it should this, be exciting. That's the whole yeah, point of this yeah. process. <laughs> right. This true. This is your life. And this should be exciting. I think we can end on that terrific note. And I want to say, let us continue this conversation in another podcast. We'll invite you back, Eli. Such oh, a delight. I would love to. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much. What a I love pleasure. your program. Focus Collegiate. Woohoo! Awesome. Love you guys and everything you're offering to students. Thank Thanks you, so much. Yep. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs>